thank you, Leslie and Paul. Good to see the rest of you here today on a, another beautiful winter day. Did it stop snowing? Sort of. Good. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Let's start our Bibles and turn to Mark, the book of Mark. And we'll be reading verses 1 through 8. Mark chapter 16. Mark chapter 16. We'll be looking at verses 1 through 8. Beginning now at verse 1. When the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of James and Salome, had, brought, had bought sweet spices that they might come and anoint him. And very early in the morning, the first day of the week, they came unto the sepulcher at the rising of the sun. And they said among themselves, Who shall roll us away the stone from the door of the sepulcher? And when they looked, they saw the stone was rolled away, for it was very great. Entering into the sepulcher, they saw a young man sitting on the right side, clothed in a white long white garment, and they were affrighted. He saith unto them, Be not affrighted, you seek Jesus of Nazareth, which was crucified. He is risen. He is not here. Behold the place where they laid him. But go your way. Tell his disciples and Peter that he goeth before you into Galilee. There shall you see him, as he said unto you. And they went out quickly, and fled from the sepulcher, for they trembled and were amazed. Neither said they anything to any man, for they were afraid. May God add a special blessing to the reading of His Word, and let us just pause for prayer prior to our study. Father God, it's with a great deal of honor and humility that we are here today to worship You, to praise You, to lift up Your name, but even more importantly, Father, for You to meet with us through Your Word. We would ask that today would be a moment, or a time of which these moments can reach our heart, that they can take us to a relationally position we've not been before. Father, You are infinite. You're omnipotent, omnipresent. All of the things that describe you characteristically, Father, above all of that is the fact that you are love. You are love. You proved it by sending Jesus Christ to the earth. God with us, Emmanuel, the name that was given to him. And Father, here we are, the pinnacle, the climax of Christianity, the resurrection. Uh, Father, may the Holy Spirit move us today. May he exclusively be our teacher. We thank you for the word. The scripture alone is our course of truth. We'll pause to thank you for what you'll accomplish today. For you alone are worthy of our praise and our, and our glory to you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Well, our journey uh, for some of you has seemed like it's went on forever. <laughs> but it's, uh, and I don't even know how we got started in Mark, honestly. We, we just, maybe it was just the power of Jesus Christ over nature, over demons, over sickness, to just show His power. And here we are at really the crescendo, if you were if, like the, the watershed, uh, the continental divide, if you will. We're right here. We're at the top of the one thing that can't be different. If this doesn't happen... Oh, by the way, I left you last time. Jesus was in the tomb. He's dead. Slip into the disciples' sandals for a moment. How are you doing? Just a few hours before, you'd gathered around a table. Not really even a table. You were lounging. You, it would have been very different from what's pictured there. You would have been literally reclining on your elbow. You would have been around in a circle. You would have been discussing, who's the greatest in the kingdom? <laughs> 
And Jesus, oh my word, what's going on? What are these guys doing? Now they're not getting it for three years. They've been following around and they're still wanting to know who's the greatest. And I've come to serve, to be the chief servant. And you know the story, I've said it so many times, but what about, how about breaking the tension or the, 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 the atmosphere of self, but for Jesus to strip to his waist and then literally to take a towel and water and begin washing the disciples' feet. That'll change the mood. That'll change the mood. Jesus has a way of doing that, doesn't he? But that had happened just hours before. And here we have now hours that have passed and he was not only betrayed, he was not only mocked, he was not only scourged, he was crucified, and he's dead, and he's in a tomb. Everybody knows he's in the tomb. The Roman soldiers had released him to Joseph of Arimathea, that's where we met last time, and to another man by the name of Nicodemus. They've taken his body, they've placed him in a tomb. In fact, it was Joseph's own personal tomb, and no one had been in it. And he's been dead. You want to keep following him? Still a disciple? Is it worth hanging on to? Well, notice the ones, the women that followed Jesus from Galilee to Jerusalem for the Passover are still right there. Did you notice that? They saw Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus taking a stand, by the way. They took a stand. Those two were part of the religious leader, kind of the celebrity focus, if you will, when they stepped out of bounds, and that's what it was, to literally take control of Jesus' body and pay enough attention and care enough to literally put it in a tomb, they would have been blackballed. You talk about political suicide, they've committed it, but they took a stand. And it tells us in another gospel that there were several of the women that watched where that body went. They knew, they, they marked it because time was running out. We have to keep track of our time now. Friday at 3 o'clock in the afternoon, Jesus said, It is finished, and into, thy, into, into the Father's hand I commit my spirit. That was the end. He's dead. Now we've got three hours to make sure that we're in the grave on a Friday because you have to be in the grave three parts of three days because that's what the Scripture says. Now, here's the other thing we have to keep in mind. Whatever was written about Jesus beforehand, if any one of those things ceases to happen, then God's lied. And if God's lied, I will take this book and I will throw it out the window because none of it is any good. That's how critical this is. So what are we going to do? <laughs> kind of like hopefully add some suspense as we've got a dead Savior on a cross that needs to be raised by Sunday sometime. How are we going to do that? <coughs> God does it through Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus. The body's placed in the grave prior to, again, our day is from sunset to sunset. He is in the grave for a portion of Friday. All day Saturday, which would be the Sabbath. This is a, and this would be a high Sabbath because this was the Passover week. This is the time that literally, this is the culmination of all of the celebration that the Israel holidays would have been. That this was the time of where, going back to Egypt, when the lamb was slain, blood put on the doorpost on the outside so that the angel of death would literally pass over. They would see that blood of the innocent lamb, of which Jesus Christ was declared by John the Baptist, the first time John ever saw him without even knowing he said, Behold, the Lamb of God which takes away the sin of the world. That was the most awesome pronouncement ever said. Immediately. That was of Jesus Christ. That's why he came. He didn't come to be a good man. He didn't come to teach for three years. He came to die for our sins. 
my sins personally. And at 3 o'clock, when those other Passover lambs were being slaughtered down at the temple, Jesus Christ died for you and for me and for the rest of the world. Whew. Whoa. He's in a grave all day Saturday, the Sabbath. Are you, are you, still, are you still in the disciple sandals? Are I still got you there? How you doing? This would be the worst Sabbath of all time. He, I, I thought he was the Messiah. How could he be dead? He's very dead. How many of you disciples believe that Jesus is literally going to be risen from the dead? The answer is none of you. Now, again, you're in the sandals of the, of the disciples, so I know what you're thinking because the Bible tells us. There wasn't a single one of them that believed Jesus Christ would rise from that. Even though he'd said numerous times, get ready, we're going to go to Jerusalem, and I'm going to be betrayed. I'm going to be handed over to the religious leaders. I'm going to be scourged. I'm going to be mocked, and I'm going to be crucified, but I will rise the third day. They didn't want to hear any of that. The rising part's really the cool thing, but who wants to be dead, right? <laughs> it's like that little kid in Sunday school. Sunday school team. How many of you want to go to heaven? All the hands go up, except for Johnny. There's no John in here, is there? No, we're good. We're good. I was going to be careful, you know. And, and so the teacher thought, just didn't hear the question. I mean, who doesn't want to go to heaven, right? So, okay, children, listen carefully. How many of you want to go to heaven? And all the hands shoot again, except for Johnny. And she says, well, Johnny, don't you want to go to heaven? Well, yes, but not now. <laughs> And the thing that stands between us, really, if you're a Christian, if you've trusted Christ as Savior, really the only thing that stands before you, between you and eternity and bliss in heaven, is a physical death. And that can't stop you. That's what's really cool. That's why the resurrection is absolutely number one most important. You cannot be a Christian if the resurrection didn't happen. Because God lied, and if God lied, it's worthless. Sorry to be loud, but that's the truth. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Paul was very, he said, if the resurrection didn't happen, then we as Christians are the most pitiful among men. I stand on the resurrection. So, this is key. This is climactic. This is the deal. <laughs> because Muhammad, Buddha, I could go on. They're all in the grave. This is the one that's not there. This is the deal breaker. This is where it's all about. I don't want them to find my Jesus. Now, there's been a lot of theories. There's been a lot of things about the resurrection because if the resurrection is true, now you're accountable, correct? Because that means the Bible is true. That means what it said was right on. And you've probably heard of many of them. There was the swoon theory. That was where Jesus was, well, you know, he was hurt, but in the coolness of the tomb and the refreshing aromatic smells of the spices, he revived. And then in some sense of just a burst, right, you see how sickening this is, I can't, even, I can't even do it right, of adrenaline, he was able to move the rock which probably weighed four to five to 6,000 pounds. Just rolled it the wrong way. Let's talk about that for a moment. Because look, the, women, the women were actually really, really concerned about this because they knew where the tomb was. 
They looked at that because they didn't want just Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus literally to do their thing, which they appreciated. But they, you've known, if you followed them from Galilee, those women took an extra special thing to be part of Jesus Christ. They wanted to give him everything that they were. They were going to say, hey, we want to do our part. And the big thing as they're traveling to the tomb on that early Sunday morning is, who is going to move the stone away? You see, and it was, it was set up that way for grave robbers, literally. That was, that's why it was there. And it was a big circular stone that would have been on a track. And if you keep in mind, it's actually allowing gravity to allow itself to roll into place. There would have been just a stop. It's almost like a, uh, you know, if you take a, a railroad car, right? It's amazing how little it takes to stop that. It can t- just a penny. I mean, it, just nothing, right? And this would be even inclined to where that rock, if you pulled it, the, like, say, the block that's underneath the rock, and then it's on an incline, and you pull it out, and you roll it into place, now you have to go uphill with the rock from the inside. Hmm. Doesn't sound logical, does it? Well, it doesn't make any sense at all. And then, by the way, keep in mind, he's not dead, so he was never resurrected. That's the key component. And then after coming out, not having eaten or drank for three days, literally at this point, plus the suffering that he would have had the previous night before he was even crucified. Correct? Are you with me? Then he walks actually to meet two disciples on the road to Emmaus, which is about a seven-mile jaunt. The more I'm talking, the more ridiculous thing this is, right? Well, I think you can swoon the theory of the swoon theory away. What about piercing his side? Piercing his yeah, side, exactly. Exactly, <laughs> exactly. The Roman, the Roman soldiers, that's what they did for a living. They knew when people were dead. Why weren't, his, why weren't his legs broken? Because he was dead. We talked about that last time we were together. Because they wanted to get him off the cross because the holiday is coming. Can you believe that? Ooh. Then there's one of the, they went to the wrong tomb theory. In other words, there was an empty tomb. But by the way, the empty tomb is the most incredible evidence that, we could, that I can literally lay out for you. Now, there's something that's not stated in any one of the Gospels. I don't know if you've thought about this. But the actual miracle of the resurrection is not stated. It's not there. doesn't need to be. But the results in reality are. It's kind of like creation, which is another miracle. In six days, God, from nothing, created everything. Isn't that amazing? And here it is. It matches. That's what truth does. It matches reality. Now, on the other side of it, in evolution, are you ready for the formula of evolution? Here it is. Listen carefully. You take nobody times nothing plus time, and you get everything. That, my friends, is blind faith. Faith is only as strong as the object in which it's placed. Isn't that correct? As I stated yesterday, at Gail's uh, funeral was the fact that literally our faith needs to be placed in Jesus Christ, who is the one that was resurrected. That's strong faith. It's got to be in that person. Sunday morning. That would have been a long weekend. A long weekend. The disciples have given up. If you're still in their sandals, you have given up. In fact, we'll find them later, and we'll go to John. I don't know if we'll get that far today or not. They're literally behind a locked door because they think they're next, right? It's kind of like today. Let's say you're hanging around with the wrong group, and they took the leader, and they hung him, and they crucified him. 
and you were right beside trying to be the most important people in their cabinet. That means we're next. <laughs> They're scared to death. They, they, they are running. And, and then, oh, by the way, I forgot to tell you about the next one because let's stop. I, 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 got, out of, I got out of sequence. It was so exciting. The <coughs> wrong tomb theory. You know, that one would be so simple to solve. If someone knew that it was the wrong tomb, then that somebody must know where the right tomb is. And you go bring Jesus' body and you say, here it is. It's a big fraud. How simple is that? Or we have the theory, the disciples stole the body. I like that one. <laughs> In fact, it, the ones that were the most concerned about it were the ones that didn't believe that he would rise from the dead. More so than the disciples who are running and fleeing for their lives, right? In fact, we have to check in on this because this is actually God using the religious leaders who hated Jesus who did not believe that he could rise from the dead, did not believe he was a Messiah. They took special steps to prove to us, literally, that Jesus rose from the dead. Let's go to Matthew. Let's go to Matthew chapter 28, and let's take a look. This is important information. Matthew chapter 28, and let's take a look. Oh, actually, before you do that, we have to go to, uh, i got to think about this a moment now. I didn't take you to the right spot. We've got to go to Matthew. If you get there to verse uh, chapter 27, hold on. But I've got to get to where, it's probably in John, but just hold on. Give me just a second. Because there's something that happened, which is just remarkable to me. In, uh, I'm still wrong. I hate it when I'm wrong all the time. Isn't it bad? Let's try Luke. Let's Luke. Um, Keeping in mind that the Passover is on Friday, and the uh, oh, here we go. We're gonna okay. Sorry, sorry, in Matthew chapter twenty-seven, just put one finger hand there. Flip over to Luke chapter twenty. Forget about Mark for a moment. We'll count it. Luke chapter twenty-four, and we're gonna take a look at chapter twenty-four. Let's see. Still did it wrong. Oh, for goodness sakes. Thought I had it found. Okay, now I'm embarrassed, so let's get that behind us all. And uh, I told you to go to Matthew, so let's just go there. But there's something that I wanted to lay in there first, but it'll make sense. Matthew 28, turn back, and let's go to verse 11. Verse 11. Now, when they were going, behold, some of the watch came into the city, showed unto the chief priests all the things that were done. And when they were assembled with the elders and had taken counsel, they gave large money unto the soldiers, saying, Say you, these disciples came by night and stole him away while we slept. And if this come to the governor's ear, we will persuade him and secure you. So they took the money and did as they were not. And this saying is commonly reported among the Jews unto this day. Now I'm forced to find for you the passage that I need to find in the sense that the, the Jewish leaders were so concerned that they actually ended up going to him, Pilate that is, on the Sabbath itself, if you can imagine anything of that nature. Can you imagine? Now wait, you're a Jewish priest, and the most important thing for you on a Saturday morning, the Sabbath, of which you're not supposed to do anything, is you show up at Pilate's camp at the praetorium and tell him, we've got a problem. This Jesus, we know he's a problem. 
And he's actually literally going to be, his body will be stolen by the disciples. We've got to war against that, word against that. See, and I've got that in my notes. Why did I not go there? Oh, I know. Okay. Thank you, Jeff. You, I, I was going crazy up here because I knew where it was at, right? Okay. So let's try it. What we've just read is perfect, but it's in the wrong sequence. Let's find out what happens on Saturday when nobody else is doing anything. The chief priests. Chapter 27. You're still in Matthew. You could have been in Matthew all this time. Verse 62. Now the next day. Let's back up one verse. There was Mary Magdalene and the other Mary sitting over against the sepulcher. This is the night that they buried Jesus, Friday night. They're actually taking a step back and they're watching what Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus are doing. Oh, it's not sepulcher. Okay, did you make note of that? We're going to come here. When? Early Sunday morning. Verse 62. Now the next day, what's the next day? The Sabbath, Saturday. That followed the day of the preparation, the chief priests... And Pharisees came together unto Pilate, saying, Sir, we remember that that deceiver said, While he was yet alive, after three days I will rise again. Command, therefore, that the sepulcher be made sure or secure until the third day. Do you see how smart they are? They know exactly what Jesus said. Do you know who didn't remember what Jesus said? The disciples. Lest his disciples come by night and steal him away and say unto the people, He is risen from the dead, so the last arrow shall be worse than the first. And Pilate, of course, being bored to death, said unto them, You have a watch. Go ahead, do what you want to do, and just make it as sure as you want. So they went and made the sepulcher sure, sealing the stone, sealing the stone and setting a watch. Now, let's mark this for a moment. This took place when? Not Friday night, but Saturday. It's the beginning of that day. This, this just blows my mind. You have the uppity up. The religious geeks from, I'm telling you, don't, you, you have everything right. You've got your shirt, the right shirt, buttoned right, detailed to maximum, and you and your cronies literally go to the praetorium of the Roman governor, which would totally throw you completely out of your Sabbath day stuff, and they're more concerned about Jesus having his body stolen by his disciples than your religious stuff. Amazing, But it was so godlike, wasn't it? Because now what we have is we have Roman soldiers in place, sealing the stone, watching so that the, so that the disciples cannot come and steal the body. Is God at work or what? And then the verses I read out of sequence, which was in chapter 28, verses 11. Guess what? There was an earthquake. Things got shook up. The rocks rolled away. And the tomb is empty. What's going on here? What are you going to do if you're a soldier? going to run. <laughs> I think I would have taken off the wrong way. I, everywhere. I, because you know what? If you're a Roman soldier, this is what you don't want to say? Well, uh, just... Uh, uh, now, you know where they went? Did you know where they didn't go? This is really important. Do you know where you wouldn't go if you were a Roman soldier? Pilate. <laughs> to Pilate. You wouldn't want to go there. Because if you told Pilate you were asleep, you're done. Where did they go? The religious leaders. That's a safer place to go. 
You won't believe it. I don't know. I don't know what happened. I don't know. I don't know. We were all asleep. And then I was like this earthquake. And then like we looked, we woke up and the rocks rolled away, like the tombs, like the big one, the one that you can't move. That one's rolled open. And then there's like nobody in there. You can't sell that one. So you know, this is like a meeting now. The religious leaders say, stop. Time out. Uh, you guys got some money? Let's, let's get a little money on the treasury. Let's go. Um, okay, listen, guys, this, this is going to be simple. Okay, what you're going to tell everybody is this. When we were asleep, the disciples came and stole the body. All right, let, let's repeat it. Let, let's say it again. Let's, you guys just say it. Let's get this right. Okay, when we were asleep, the disciples came and stole the body. Okay, yeah. Well, th- this should help you. Here's some money. And it says in the scripture, you see it? Large amount of money. I don't know what a large amount of money is, but it's not 20 bucks. If you ever watch a cop show, you know, the guy pulls out a 20 and says, he wants information. Oh, no, this is a lot of money to tell them to tell the right story. Okay, would you guys repeat after me now? Okay, say it. Say it. Just go ahead. Uh, when we were asleep, the disciples stole the body. Oh, that's so good. A little more money. Give them a little more, right? And literally, that's how it went. That's what, now, that's bribery at its finest. Now, let's stop for a second. Let's see if this works for you. Let's say as your child came to you and said, Mom, you won't believe it. When I was asleep, my other brother took that dog and moved it over there. How did you know if you were asleep? It's just so stupid, isn't it? These are theories that actually ran. In fact, John says that it's still common. It was a common theme even when he wrote this, wrote this gospel. <laughs> you know why? I'll tell you why. Because if you don't have a resurrection, you don't have a Messiah. And if you don't have a Messiah, you don't have a Savior. If you don't have a Savior, you don't have Christianity. That's why. These are Satan's lies. These are Satan's lies. You must have had a bribery fund set aside. <laughs> Apparently, and, and well-endowed. Well-endowed. But at the perfect time, too, right? Taxes from the people. Yeah. Exactly. We, we, we know all about how that was working, right? We got these special funds here. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, just for these moments. To get the truth out. You talk about a spin. This was one of the first spins on the resurrection, so to speak. Still in the sandals of the disciples? You weren't even thinking about stealing a body. Because you think, well, you know Jesus is dead. How's your life? I mean, how, what's, it, what's it feel like right now? You know, we've got, we've got this, this is just a depiction, but it looks pretty cheery here, right? We're several days later. It's not looking so good. Our guy's dead. We've lost. We've lost everything. Praise God for the women. They go out the next morning. Now they had, and preparation, because they couldn't buy anything. Keep, keep in mind, our, our, see, after 6 o'clock on Friday, you wouldn't have been able to purchase any, any spite. You couldn't purchase anything for that matter. But early Sunday morning, when would a Sunday morning started then? Sunset on Saturday, Okay. And don't kid yourself, things are open, right? It's like going to Kmart or Walmart or whatever, right? I mean, you can go get stuff because it's 
open for business. Now, did you notice you'll never see in the New Testament where it says like there's Monday, sun, uh, Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. It's only, everything is based off of the Sabbath. Before the Sabbath and after the Sabbath. Okay? Everything is revolving around the Sabbath. So they would have then purchased their spices and their ointments and whatever they were going to do to anoint Jesus' body in the grave on that Sunday, if you will, it started at 6 o'clock the, the, the day before. And here they are early at daybreak. All of the gospel accords say the same thing. Now in John chapter 20, verse 1, let's read this, because it talks when we were in Mark, there was three women that went. There were numerous women actually went. But Mary Magdalene is the one that is there first. It's the darkest, shall we say. Let's go to John chapter 20, and let's take a look at verse 1. John 20, verse 1. John 20. Now, the first, day, the first day of the week, so that would be Sunday, cometh Mary Magdalene, early, verse 1, chapter 20, when it was yet dark, early, unto the sepulcher, and seeth the stone taken away from the sepulcher. Now, that would blow your mind, because the last time they checked, which was Friday night, the stone was in place. This has been their whole thing. I, I'm sure that they were having, how are we going to get that out of the way? How are we going to be able to do our work? How are we going to be able to do that? She, she's coming and apparently is ahead of the rest of the women. I don't really get that exactly, but it's obvious she's there by herself first. And the stone is rolled away, totally just blows her mind. What's she gonna, what are you thinking first? What's the first thing you would say? Somebody's robbed the body. That's what she's thinking. Now, did you see this? She takes off. She runneth, in verse 2, and cometh to Simon Peter and to the other disciple, which is John, whom Jesus loved, that's how he describes himself, saith unto them, they have taken away the Lord out of the sepulcher, and we know not where they have laid him. Peter, therefore, went forth, and another disciple, John, and came to the sepulcher. So they ran both together, and the other disciple did outrun Peter, and came first to the sepulcher. He, stooping down, looking in, saw the linen clothes lying, yet went he not in. Then cometh Simon Peter, falling, went into the sepulcher, and seeth the linen clothes lie, and the napkin that was about his head, not lying with the linen clothes, but wrapped together in a place by itself. Now, that is interesting as well. Let's say that you are a body thief. Let's say the disciples did come and grab the body. I don't even care who's grabbing the body at this point. We've known from the burial and the things that Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus would have done, they would have wrapped with those linen clothes, remember that, and all of those spices, they would, have they would have wrapped all of those bands, if you will, all the way through, <coughs> plus one separately for his head. Now think carefully. Do you remember when Jesus had brought Lazarus out of the grave? He said, Lazarus, come forth! And what did Jesus say after he did? I mean, that must have been a a treat for Lazarus, Think, thinking how tightly wound he would have been, right? Loose him. Loose him and let him free. Okay? Now think about this for a moment. Who in their right mind, especially if there's a seal on a stone, Roman guards would take time to unwrap the body and then lay it there. Now the way it's described for us is just like this. Just as if they would have been laying on that, in the sepulcher, on that stone, that there is the form of the linen wrappings where his body was, but the body's gone from the inside of the linen. That messes with our head. That's one of the coolest evidences right there. He's gone from the inside. 
Now, why was the stone rolled away? Was that just for Mary to get all excited and run and go get the two disciples? Well, of course not, Larry. It was to let Jesus out. <laughs> the earthquake and all of that, they would have been present in, 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 in a, what, a, a sleeping stupor or something that God had put them. No one was there to witness the actual miracle of the, of the, the uh, resurrection, accepting the results, the reality of that. And the stone was rolled away so that we could see that it's an empty tomb. So the soldiers could see that there was no one there. So that Mary could see there was no one there. For Simon Peter and for John to see there was no one there. The empty tomb is of utmost importance. If the stone had not rolled away, even though Jesus would have been gone, we wouldn't have seen that he was. Boy, that's strong evidence. And the fact that the disciples, when they got there, they were able to get into the sepulcher meant that the Roman soldiers had already wet their pants. They were gone. They were gone. They were gone. Here's the other thing we don't. It, this seems odd. Marys, the Marys, the disciples, do you know who they, who, I'm sorry, who they didn't know was going to be there guarding the tomb? The soldiers. Because the soldiers were in place on what day? The day nobody's supposed to be there. Sabbath. On the Sabbath. And yet, do you see how God orchestrated all of these <coughs> events to prove that the resurrection took place by the absence of the body. Let's go back and continue. Verse 8, then, this is John chapter 20, then went in also that other disciple, that's John, which came first to the sepulcher, and he saw and believed. Now, at first you say, I got it, he finally got it, he knows what happened. Read the next verse. For as yet they knew not the scripture that he must rise again from the dead. I don't know what John believed, but it wasn't the whole picture. He believed something has happened. He believed something that is supernatural has happened, but he's not sure what. Verse 10, in fact, it says the disciples went away again unto their own home. But Mary stood without at the sepulcher weeping. This is Mary Magdalene. As she wept, she stooped down and looked into the sepulcher, and seeth two angels in white sitting, one at the head, the other at the feet, where the body of Jesus had lain. And they say unto her, Woman, why weepest thou? She said unto them, Because they have taken away my Lord, and I know not where they have laid him. When she had thus said, she turned herself back and saw Jesus standing, and knew not that it was Jesus. Jesus saith unto her, Woman, why weepest thou? Whom seekest thou? She, supposing him to be the gardener, saith unto him, Sir, if, you ha- if, they- if thou have borne him hence, taken him somewhere, tell me where thou hast laid him, and I will take him away. Okay? Have you got this picture? Now, actually, keep in mind, Mary has been there once, saw the stone roll, and took off. The other women then came, and these angels would have spoken to them the same way they've done to her. Who are you looking for? For he is risen. They've declared, just matter-of-factly, he is risen. And that's what we find in Mark they took off to go tell the other disciples, and they were very, very afraid. Mary has come back with Peter and John, correct? They've now went back, and she's sitting there sobbing. Now, what do you know about Mary Magdalene? If you were going to go to Luke chapter 8, you would find that she was a woman of which Jesus cast out not one, not two, not three, not four, not five, not six, but seven demons. Can you imagine 
a before and after of that and how much she must have appreciated and loved Jesus Christ for what he did for her life? She's sobbing. And these two men, which were actually angels, said, who are you looking for? He's risen. And then Jesus shows up, right? I, I just have to love this, right? He's just all of a sudden standing there. And she says, sir, could you tell me where they've taken Jesus' body? Because I'd like to get it. I, I want to take care of it. And it's Jesus himself. But she doesn't recognize it. She thinks he's the gardener. And then he says something. In the way that he would have said her name, I don't know how that was, but it was just that way. Mary. <laughs> Talk about how you would just jump out of your clothes almost, right? I mean, and you're looking for the guy that's dead, that's been dead for three days, and there he is standing right there. And it's this, that's Jesus. <laughs> and she, Right? She was actually the first one that the resurrected Jesus appeared to. The first one. The other women actually saw him later. Numerous times. It's ten times of which actually literally that Jesus appeared to others. But there's something that I want to stop here. I think we're going to come back and, and re revisit this again. But I, I have to stop for a moment and just let's... Just talk about the resurrection itself. Do you remember I said the, the coolest thing, the best thing that I can think of Jesus ever saying after 33 years of life was hanging on a cross and he's at the end and he said, it is finished. But is it enough? That's the question. Is it enough? Because when he goes in the grave, guess what? He's still dead. When Jesus said it is finished, God needed to say, I am satisfied. Because for us, for any one of us in this room or any place on this planet before or going into the future, we're not enough. We can't get it done. We can't break sin by ourselves. It's impossible. But was God satisfied? Was it enough for this one that hung on a cross that was here for that reason? How would we know? How would we know if it was enough? There's only one way. To be risen from the dead. Let's take a look at a couple of scripture verses in the way that are worded. Let's go to Romans chapter 4. Romans chapter 4, verse 25. Romans 4, 25. Starting verse 4, 24, Romans chapter 4, verse 24. But for us also, to whom it shall be imputed, if we believe on him that raised up Jesus our Lord from the dead, who was delivered for our offenses. That literally, he died on the cross. And watch. And was raised again for our justification. If he had not risen, then you could not be declared not guilty. The fact that he was risen from the dead allows you to say, if you've trusted Christ, if you've believed, that that is adequate, that it is a, the big word that's used. Let's go to 1 John chapter 2, verse 2. 1 John 2, 2. This is a big word that means satisfied. 1 John chapter 2 and verse 2. It says this, 1 John 2, 2. 
And He, Jesus, is who He's speaking of, is the propitiation for our sins. He's the satisfaction of our sins. Now, obviously, you probably don't go to the Napa store, or I haven't recently, and went in and said, Rick, I want to propitiate my bill. You want to what? Rather, you just pay it. Well, that's what I meant. You see, it's a word that we don't use, but that's what it means. And to think of this, the, very, the only way you could have known if Jesus died for your sins and was adequate was if he was risen from the dead. If he was still in the grave, didn't get it done. You're still on your own. Not satisfied. And when Jesus said, it is finished, God was saying, I am satisfied. Let's go to Romans chapter 10, verses 9 and 10. Romans chapter 10. Uh, one of the things that you have to believe to be a Christian, to trust Christ, is the fact that you believe in the resurrection. Let's look at these verses. Romans chapter 10, verses 9 and 10. This is very important. Resurrection is a key component. It says in verse 9, that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. If you don't believe in the resurrection, you're not saved. That's what that says right there. And believe, we talked, I, again, used it yesterday, it's a chair or a pew is so easy to use in the sense of real faith. Now, it's not a matter of just believing there's a God. I mean, I run into people all the time that say, well, I believe there's a God. It says in the scriptures that the demons believe there's a God. I mean, that's not hard, right? But it's more than that. It's like the chair in which you're sitting. You know, you may have analyzed it. You may have, you know, looked at the ingredients. You may have checked the weight capacity. You may have, you know, that's not bad. It's put together pretty well. But when does it actually become that you've put your trust or your faith in that chair? Is it by watching Bill sit in the chair? It looks like it holds him. Good for him. I've got faith in Bill. Now, it's not, it's not, is it? When does it become faith? When you trust in the chair. That's faith. When you sit down. Yeah. And then, back to the same thing. See, if Jesus isn't enough, then that faith is only as good as the object in which it's placed. That's why if you have faith in anything other than Jesus Christ, it's not enough. Because he's the only one that blew through the grave. The resurrection, literally, is the most important piece of anything that you will believe in on this, anywhere. It's a universal climax and that's why so much is said and so much is done to preserve it. Let's take a look at, you're in Romans, and so go back to chapter 3, verse 25. 3.25. We'll start at verse 23. It sets us up, and it's not, very, it's not good news, but it's clear. Sometimes the truth hurts, but it's good. It's okay. For all have sinned. Uh, I would rather it said, for some have sinned. Or for a few have sinned. Are all have sinned except me have sinned, right? But it's not that way. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. That's a really heavy, heavy verse. Being justified freely by His grace. Oh, that's fantastic. How? Through the redemption, the purchase that is in Christ Jesus. Watch. Whom God hath set forth to be a... Do you remember that big word we used? To be a propitiation. 
to be a satisfaction. How? How is it appropriated? Through faith, what? In his blood, to declare his righteousness for the remission of sins that are past through the forbearance of God. Those verses are so full and so rich. They're amazing in the sense of the power of what it brings. And the, and the resurrection is key and foremost within that because it proves the fact, the worth of Jesus Christ's sacrifice. He was an adequate Passover lamb. Now, here's the other thing that happened. There's a whole lot of things changed. On that day, that Passover, it was the last Passover needed, even though there's been countless ones since. No longer did they have to sacrifice a Passover lamb because he, the Lamb of God, was sacrificed once and for all. It's done. It's over. The other thing that happened was it actually changed the point of the day of worship. From the Feast of Pentecost that was upcoming, of which Jesus then actually ascended into heaven, the Holy Spirit came on during the time of Pentecost. It's the only ten of the Ten Commandments from that point forward that is never mentioned again. In fact, the disciples began meeting on the first day of the week, the day after the Sabbath. If you go to Revelation chapter 1, verse 10, it talks about John having seen the vision on the Lord's Day. It became known as the Lord's Day. Why? Because that was the day that changed everything. That was the day that literally the resurrection changed everyone's perspective in who they were with God. The sacrificial system, all of that, even, even the creation week, they rested on the seventh day because that was what God said to do. In Exodus, it's very clear. On the day that Jesus Christ died, everything changed. It was the new covenants. It was everything that was based on what the shadow was for it to come. In fact, let's go to Colossians chapter 2 and verse 16. Colossians 2 verse and chapter 16. Colossians 2, 16. <clears throat> it says, Let no man therefore judge you in meat or in drink, on respect of a holy day or of the new moon or of the Sabbath days, watch, which are a shadow of things to come, but the body is of Christ. He fulfilled everything that was necessary that the sacrificial system brought. Everything that was prior to him, he fulfilled on that day. And the key and the component was the stamp of approval is when God gave the power for Jesus Christ to literally rise from the dead. And he was seen by not just Mary Magdalene. We talked about her today. She was seen by the, he was seen by the other Marys. He was seen by the disciples on two different occasions. And the one that actually, the guy that I really have to admire is Thomas, disciple. Thomas of Didymus, right? He's a, I'll believe when I see it. I think he came from Missouri. He was a show me state. You show me the stuff. There's 11 of them there. And saw him, and Thomas was gone. He missed church that week. What a day to miss church, right? <laughs> the next week he was there. And literally, Jesus, again, goes through the door. He's inside. There's a locked door. Can you imagine what that was like? There he is. Peace be with you. Yeah, that would be a great thing to start with. Peace be with you. Peace be with you. How'd you get here? And then he says instantly to Thomas, Thomas, and it's like he almost took his hand. He said, here, 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 put, put your, put your, see, put your hands right there. And what did he respond as? My Lord and my God. 
Now here's the part we're gonna leave about the fact that if did the disciples really steal the body? Did they even think about it? Are you still in your disciple sandals? Are they getting a little bit warm yet? Are they loose? Let's say that you were part of that team that were actually going to have a conspiracy to steal Jesus' body because if we could actually show that he raised and everybody would believe that, we're still okay. But when the fire got turned up, so to speak, and it got really hot and they were really starting to look for you, said, there's a way out. There's a way out. Just say that Jesus didn't rise from the dead, and you're off the hook. You're off the hook. Now, what are the odds of 11 of those guys? Now, one's gone, Judas Iscariot. He bailed out the night. He betrayed Jesus Christ. In fact, I'm convinced that he thought, if I put Jesus in the back, where his back is to a wall, that he'll finally show himself for who he is, and finally we'll take these Romans out. I believe that's what he really believed. He thought he could just put Jesus in a corner, put enough pressure on, and Jesus would do the right thing. And then when he saw he was going to be killed, he went out and hung himself. Okay. Wrong motives. It's amazing how self can get in the center of everything. But the other 11, we've read a lot about John. He died on the Isle of Patmos. He was exiled. It was actually thought that the king tried to boil him in oil, and it didn't work. I have no idea how that couldn't work. But he was afraid of him. They actually, get him out of my sight. Put him somewhere we can't hurt or do anything. And guess what? He went to the Isle of Patmos and wrote the book of Revelation, which will never be more pertinent than it is right now, and we should be studying it really soon, right? That's what happened to him. The other ten, every single one of them, gave their life for Christ. Now, may I ask you, in the depth of your heart, if you choose between life or death for someone's body that you stole, are you kidding me? That's too easy, isn't it? The resurrection, there is proof for it in every single place you look. It is a fact. It is reality. And it's the reason I stand before you now with confidence and hope for the future if you've trusted Christ as Savior. Because that's the pinnacle. That's the key component. Without it, you have nothing. With it, you have everything. Let's go to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Verses 3 and 4, it, this is probably the most, if you want to know where the gospel message is and you want, it, you want it the most condensed, I think it's right here. Verse 3, for I delivered unto you first of all that which I also received, how that Christ died for our sins, according to the scriptures, that he was buried and that he rose again the third day, according to the scriptures. That's as condensed as you can make it. But then it goes on to say, and he was seen of Cephas, that's Peter, then of the twelve. After that he was seen of above five hundred brethren at once, of whom the greater part remain unto this present, some are fallen asleep. After that he was seen of James, then of all of the apostles. And last of all he was seen of me, this is Paul, also as of one born out of due time. Whoa. 
But look at verse 20. But now is Christ risen from the dead and become the firstfruits of them that slept or have died. For since by man came death, by man came also the resurrection of the dead. For in Adam all die, even so in Christ shall all be made alive. The last enemy, verse 26, that shall be destroyed is death. For he hath put all things under his feet, when he hath said, and when, but when he saith all things are under, under him, it is manifest and he is accepted, which did put all things under him. Then turn over to verse 51. This is a passage that is so powerful because of the resurrection. Behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye at the last trump. For the trumpet shall sound and the dead shall be raised incorruptible and we shall be changed. The same body that Jesus had, that, in, that incorruptible resurrected body literally becomes one that we will have because of what he being the first fruits would give. For this corruptible must put on incorruption, and this mortal must put on immortality. So when this corruptible shall put on incorruption, and this mortal shall put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? The sting of death is sin, the, sting of, the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, which giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ." If you're in Christ, if you're trusting Him, if you're resting in Him, there is not anything you have to fear. Because you have been purchased with a price. Jesus Christ paid for you. He paid with His blood for you. And God said, it's good enough because I'm going to raise my son from the dead. Just as will happen to you, you will have a resurrected body just like Jesus Christ. Eternity. I, I, it's hard. We can't even grasp that, can you? Think as far ahead as you can think. Are you there? Take a times a zillion. And another zillion. And another quadrillion. You've just begun. That's how much God loved you. That's how much he cared for you. Now, here's the other part. As you've thought ahead, I want you to think back. Take the same number of exponents. Drop as far back as you can possibly go. There was nothing. You're back that far? There was only one thing, and that was God. Just God. Look what he decided. Take your Bibles. Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1. And let's take a look. Ephesians 1. And we'll start in verse 3. Ephesians 1, 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ. Think of that. We could, just, we could talk about that for a long time. But watch. It's, a, it's got a colon there. According. That's how you get there. According as He hath chosen us in Him. Those that have trusted Christ. When? Before the foundation of the that, my friends, is amazing to me. If I would have known the jerks that were going to surround the cross and put me on it, if I'm Jesus Christ, I would wipe it out and start completely over. If I'm down to Noah and seven other people because the rest of the world is so corrupt, 
I would have wiped it out and started over. That verse right there is so enriched with God's magnificent and infinite love, I cannot describe it for you. He chose to do what he did through Jesus Christ, and that is for him to bear the sins of the world that took my hell and your hell for three hours of darkness on that cross. And at three o'clock, he said, it's finished. And God said, I am satisfied by raising him from the dead. There is nothing more important than that. (laughs) And that's the only reason that I can stand here and say it is true. Because without it, there's nothing. Let's pray. Father God, there are things that you've chosen to do before there was anything here. It was just you. It was just you, that omnipotent, omnipresent, omniscient, and all-knowing, all-powerful God. And yet, in your foreknowledge... And the fact of everything that you are, of which we can't comprehend fully, obviously, that you decided that through the very God, the second person in the Trinity, God the Son, that he would be the only way that mankind would be redeemed from sin of which they would fall into, that they would be guilty of. They'd all sin. They'd all fall short of the glory of God. And only through Christ... He would be the only way, the only truth, the only life of which we could re-enter into fellowship with you. It leaves us speechless. I humbly bow, Father. That kind of love is... I, I can't explain it. I can't grasp it. But even more impressive is the fact, Father, that you've made it available to everyone. Your grace is sufficient. Jesus paid it all. To access it is through faith. To confess with the mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord. To believe that he was risen from the dead. Then you will be saved. What a plan. What a God. We are awestruck by the magnitude of your amazing love and grace. We thank you in Jesus. Amen. Being the first.